Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Let's get moving with Maria. Inspiration to spend a few minutes each day to get moving on the small things that can make a big difference in your life. With me today is Dr. Susan Madsen. She is the head of the Utah Women and Leadership Project. And Susan, I'm so glad that you could be here today to talk about your new research about women and how they have been impacted by COVID. So give us the bottom line. What did you find? So we actually, in the state of Utah, we collected data from 3,500 women over that. So we have lots of perceptions and lots of experiences that we've collected on our data. And this is the first report. And we really focused on changes of employment and burnout and hope and some other things like that. And we did find, at least in our sample, about 16% of people who took our survey did withdraw in some way, had had changes in different ways from leaving the workforce altogether. And many of those people that chose to do that, they're, the companies they worked for shut down during the pandemic. Or they shifted from full-time to part-time, or they just decided to switch to less demanding jobs because, as you know, many of the women are, you know, have kids still at home and they had to deal with childcare and homeschooling, and so many things that that women tend to deal with, you know, uh, that fall under that unpaid care work. Right. Can you compare it all, women to men? I mean, how would you assess, would you say that women overall have just done more poorly than men? Oh, yeah. The the national data tells us that. But also there was uh, last month, just a couple weeks ago, actually, uh, just a small report that came out from the Kempsey Gardner Institute of a policy, um, policy Institute at the University of Utah that said approximately, I think it was approximately about 4,000 men during the pandemic left the workforce and about twice as many women. So we know that there has been an impact. And we know, generally speaking, I mean, what happens during times of crisis is you take things that are not equal to begin with, and they just become more unequal, right? So when you have uh, women have more unpaid care work, then during times of crisis, you even have more unpaid care work. And that's what you see during the pandemic. Um, I do have to say that I think a lot of men, especially when in those occupations where you shifted your work at home, Mm -hmm. many men have stepped up too. But we still know from the research, not ours, but other research, that men perceive that things are equal and women do not perceive that. (laughs) That women do have so many invisible tasks that we do, you know, even taking care of 
doctor's appointments and, and some of the emotional labor, it's called. Um, so we do know that women have had different experiences than men. Maybe some of it has been similar, but men and women's lived experiences are different. And they're, therefore, when you have crisis, when you have pandemic and those kinds of things, that will be kind of exasperated. Let's dig in on some of the things that you looked at specifically, like income. How were women impacted as far as income goes? Well, we looked at income, you know, the impacts of of income um, on different industries, but also different locations in the state of Utah. And I thought that was interesting. And so we looked at at how many of our sample really had decreases in income. And our highest areas were manufacturing and food services. That makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And hospitality and tourism and sales even makes sense because, you know, people put sales when they're doing retail sales, but also, you know, selling products uh, to like universities or businesses. And of course, many of the businesses were impacted. So the ones that were least impacted, um, you know, were were things like uh, financial institutions or information technology and those things. So we definitely saw in various places decreases in income. But in some way, we saw, you know, people actually increasing in their hours. One, uh, Maria, one of the interesting things that we did measure, and, and on a seven-point scale, so mm-hmm. one out of seven, um, was the feeling of women's burnout. So burnout, and then also their hope for the future. Those two were super interesting to mm. me. So what we found um is that women across the board in all industries and food services was the highest are generally pretty burned out, at least somewhat to, you know, they agree, yeah, I'm feeling burnout. So, um, and and that's pretty strong in different counties of the state as well. Um, interestingly, Maria, I don't know if you had a chance to look at this, but the one that fared the least burnout was Washington County, where hmm. they see sun more often than we Oh, than I can imagine also. why. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and actually, on the hope scale, Washington County came out fairly, fairly high in hope, too. So it's interesting to look at the comparison of burnout to hope. And, and we are seeing more burnout than we are hope, but there's both in the in the or the hope is in the positive direction, though. Somewhat hope is is about where we're at. Um, so those. Yeah. So those we do see income concerns, money concerns. But actually, I have to say I was I was surprised that it wasn't higher. And I wonder we collected our data during January. So I expect if we would have collected it in August and September or before that, there would be higher concerns. Ours ended up around neutral or even not not concerns. So people were feeling pretty steady, but but we're doing pretty good in the state of Utah in terms of compared to other states, right? In terms of uh, unemployment rates and those kinds of things, we rebounded well compared to many states. Dr. Madsen, when you do a study like this, what do you hope you will learn that we can actually affect change as we move forward? Oh, we everything we do is we hope that we'll affect change. And so 
uh, affect change in, in different ways. First of all, in the individual women's lives and their families. So when they look at this, they'll think, you know, th- these are some things maybe that I can ask my employer. These are some situations. I'm not alone. You're right. Mm-hmm. But some of the there's a great list in our report um, and anybody can get to that report by utwomen.org is our website. But we ask women, what are the kinds of things organizations can do or have done during the pandemic? And um, and so we have a whole list of things that organizations can can think about implementing that really would help. Uh, women and families during times of crisis, but generally they're good practices for anyone as well. Um, it does have some good public policy implications on on things that we can do moving forward to support things like uh, domestic, more women, you know, struggling in domestic violence situations, 9.2%, and we know it's even going to be higher. But of our sample, 9.2% said that they were struggling and worried about domestic violence in their home and to me that's that's hard to, hard to read hard to hard to you know kind of think about that many lives being impacted and worry, worried about their children and their own safety Right. Describe for me maybe the differences that you saw with the women who actually had to stay in the workforce and maybe worked more hours compared to those that were forced to go, you know, work from home well, they're different industries. What we know from teleworking or telecommuting that some jobs, of course, can be shifted to home. And so that's a luxury for many people. And some just were could not. For instance, healthcare. Many of those jobs they have you can't shift to home. You you need to be there. But many of the the women that left the workforce were in retail or food industries or hotel or those kinds of things where they were absolutely shut down during the pandemic, some of them 100%. But even now, many of those are not, those kinds of industries are not running full, full, you know, those customer facing. Some of, more of those are, but some of those are not. So, so even though, you know, life is hard sometimes when you have your kids at home and, and all of those, you know, you're struggling with daycare, you know, if you can bring your home, your job home, at least you have that financial, like the, those benefits, that paycheck coming out. And and by the way, there's always an assumption that there's a mom and a dad in a home, but we have a lot of families in Utah that are single moms or even single dads. And you think of the implications there, those are even stronger than, than um, you know, you can't if you need to go to work and your job is out there and not at home. You don't even have those choices. Right, that's really frightening when you still, think about kids who are at yeah. home and their parents aren't. Yeah, absolutely. But even women that shifted their work to home to deal with all of those things, uh, trying to, especially you know, not just the daycare but homeschooling. That's a big deal. Say you have a couple of kids at home, trying to keep them motivated to do their homework to stay attentive on Zoom for hour after hour. Those kinds of things are, are challenging and really a worry on on them. You worry. You don't want your children to lose a whole year of school. Mm-hmm. 
You know, Dr. Madsen, in the past, I've had really stressful things happen in my life, and I've actually seen work as my solace, kind of a place where I could Mm -hmm. come and escape you know, from some of those realities that happen in your personal life. Uh, My husband had a a very bad accident and spent a lot of time in the hospital and work actually with what I do. I didn't have time to think about, you know, what was happening uh, with him. And so it kind of was an escape for me in some ways, and I think kind of a survival. So I'm trying to imagine these women who then were forced to work from home and do all of these other things with their children as well. How stressful and how that must have just really led to even more burnout. Absolutely. No escape. Right. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, as mentioned, I mean, when we did look at the, you know, relocation of work and people that continued to work on site through the whole pandemic and didn't shift to home actually reported less exhaustion and just slightly less burnout. There's still we see burnout across right across the. the but just slightly less um, less burnout. Um, so, and in terms of mental health decline, we measured mental health decline, and we did see that they that women actually had less women who worked outside at at a site outside their home had lower levels of uh, decline. So, there's some interesting. They're they're not super wide gaps in the data, but enough to say there's something going on there. So sometimes when you do go, get outside the house and, and leave the kids or leave, leave just the house and, and what you're doing and your responsibilities, for some women, that, that really is helpful in terms of their mental health, in terms of burnout and so forth. You know that I always like to leave people with some small changes they they can make that can really make a difference. And what can we do? What can we learn from your data? What changes can we each make in our own lives to make a difference for everyone? Well, in terms of our own life, I think just knowing this data can be very helpful in a few different ways. And one is that I think we can have, you know, we have our own experiences. But reading this helps us understand that not all of us have the same experiences, and especially, you know, with income worry uh, in terms of looking at race. It was very clear in our data that more women of color are concerned about certain things, even more than white women. So learning can help us not only in our own environments, but as we reach out and help and listen to and encourage women and And in different situations, it can help broaden our views on that. And then also just understanding that um, there really are many things that organizations, if we have impact in our organizations, if we have, have some influence in our community, there are some things here that we can use, um, to really understand the impact we can make. A lot of us in the state of Utah do reach out. We do volunteerism. We do serve. And this can highlight, for instance, that domestic violence data that I talked about. Um, It can highlight some areas that we can get involved in moving forward. And sometimes just knowing that we're not alone, that other people are struggling with some things that maybe we thought were only our own struggles, that can help us as well. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Oh, I think it's just great that we've been able to collect this data and start rolling it out and sharing women's experiences here in the state of Utah specifically 
in their paid work because it really does matter to make sure that we all thrive in Utah, that men thrive, but also women. And how can we do that better? We're getting some of those answers in our data, and we're excited to look forward and really have some other briefs rolling out one each month in the upcoming months. Thank you so much for all of your efforts in improving the lives of all of us and uh, with your research, and, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Maria. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.